taking matters into his own hands. A man jumps on a plane's wing and tries to get into the cabin as an aircraft is already preparing for takeoff. The Save Chick-fil-A laws, they're calling it, it was passed. Texas actually got a chance to pass one of these laws. We'll explain what they are. And a Disney World tourist also taking things in their own hands. Didn't have a fast pass, so he decided to punch his way into a ride. We'll get to those stories in a bit. These were really big, really weird stories, but not quite top 10 materials. Not the top stories of the week per se you. So what stories are the top 10 for the week per your decisions on social media? We'll get to those in just a minute here on the wrap-up show with Jay Cleveland Payne. This is the show for the week ending July the 27th, 2019. And welcome back to the show. I am Jay Cleveland Payne, the host for The Wrap-Up Show, which is a wrap-up of the conversations that we have on our social media from The Conversation Project and this is theconversation.com. Now, our social media sites are fairly simple. Fall in line with the name of The Conversation. That is, This is The Conversation. Find us there on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter. We are TH underscore conversation. How does this whole thing work? What am I doing here? Why are we having this conversation right now? Well, I am a news junkie and a news producer and a journalist and all those other things. But one thing that I notice in my love for news is that the news we're actually covering every day, the quote-unquote most important stuff, tends to get stale, tends to get boring, especially if you are watching a cable news station and see what's on the Chiron all day long. It's the same, mostly things all day. And they are important stories, but there are plenty of other things going on in the world that get missed out in the process. We allow you a chance to tell us what stories out there, including some of the Chiron stories, are the most important conversational stories for the week. We do a countdown from 10 to 1, Casey Kasem style, in the first segment where we'll tell you how those stories came out for the week. And you get a chance to put your vote in by simply following us on those social media sites, Facebook and Twitter, as you follow us, as the links come up in your feed. We post uh, about one about every 50 minutes in your feed. You react to it as you want to. Like it, love it, hate it, share it, reply to it. The more engagement a story gets, the more work gets into the headlines, and we go all the way up to the top of the list. This week, we have 196 distinct different postings. Thank you so much for joining us for all of those, being very much engaged and putting up with a lot of the foibles and the fallbacks that we've had lately in our own process of getting things done. So we talked about the first segment. We'll go through the countdown of the top 10 stories this week. In the second segment of this podcast, we have what's called the housekeeping, where we explain any files, errors, things that happen out. We have a housekeeping issue of a tie again. We'll quickly talk about it as we get there, and then we'll go on to explain how that happens in the housekeeping. Plus, we have our almost irrelevant story of the week. And this one is kind of irrelevant, but it's usually a later posted story, which is saying here. But this is one that's actually very cool. And my boys from way back in the day, from my early radio days who listen to this podcast, will get a real kick out of this one. So this is one that's mostly for us. Just so happened to pop up for you guys as well. Segment three, we do our shout-outs. We talk to the people. That's you guys who gave us extra love on Facebook and Twitter. We'll give you some shout-outs there. And we will round out the top 15, which is exactly as it says. We'll go through stories 11 through 15. The story's not quite in top 10 range. We'll tell you a little bit about them and maybe why we think they didn't quite make the cut to top 10. Ville, if that makes any sense once again follow us on facebook and twitter facebook it's this is a conversation twitter it's th underscore conversation and you can be a part of the countdown by literally replying to the actual stories in your feed if you have any questions comments concerns email us at the conversation inbox at gmail.com let's go ahead and get into the countdown for this week starting off with the story in the number 10 spot that story reads or headline at least reads like this Canadian police accidentally live-streamed double homicide press conference using cat filter. We pulled the story from the Hill, but this was a very, um, very big story that got a lot of quick press on the way this one ran down. The story was posted on Sunday, July 21st. Let's get you some details from this thing because it got really weird really early, as you might expect. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police inadvertently streamed a press conference regarding a double homicide using a filter that added cat ears and whiskers to a police officer on Friday, according to the Daily Beast. 
The Royal Canadian Mountain Police of British Columbia later clarified that the press conference, which concerned the killing of an American woman and her Australian boyfriend, was accidentally streamed using an automatic Facebook Live setting. Sergeant Janelle Charlotte re-recorded the press conference without the filter apologizing for the error. We are aware and addressing it as it is an automatic setting. Thank you. We will rectify the issue and video shortly. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police of British Columbia tweeted during the press conference. You can go and check out the link for the story inside of this week's link for the podcast at thisisaconversation.com. All the stories links are there, and that's basically it for the story. Now, you have been listening to uh, a lot of stuff on the actual this actual story they're talking about. This is a very big story in itself on the killing and the murder they're talking about there, uh, but there's also a reference to another issue made in another nation, not American, but another nation, where something happened where the wrong filter popped up on a very serious press conference and those things happen. And yes, one, those things do happen, so you have to worry about those settings on those filters you're using. And two, every time we refer to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police of British Columbia, we had to read the whole entire thing. They ain't got no abbreviations. They're not like FBI, CIA, so they're really, really serious about their, um, about their names, about their agencies, and we're, we're cool with that. Let's keep it moving. Moving on to the story that's in the number eight, nine spot, should say, the nine spot this week. This story gets a bump in response. That means more people responded to this one on social media than the last one of 3.94%. The story headline is 10,000 New Yorkers lose power at height of Sunday heat. Posted on Sunday, July 21st as well. This story uh, we pulled from the source being in the New York Post. Here are a few lines from the story we have from the post out of the frying pan into the fire thousands of big apple residents lost power just as temperatures reached their zenith sunday afternoon according to energy providers some 10,000 con interesting customers were sweating it out without power as of 6 p.m sunday an outage map provided by the power company showed the number of fractions the number was a fraction of just an hour before but swaths of brooklyn's began losing electricity just after 5 p.m when the heat index reached a blistering 102, according to the National Weather Service, and the post measured 113 degrees in Times Square. Quote, Con Ed, Con Ed is responding to outages affecting roughly 4,500 customers citywide. Largest outages are in Flushing and Richmond Hill in Queens, Park Slopes, Flatbush, and Brighton Beach in Brooklyn, and Lincoln Square in Manhattan. That's from Bill Blavazio. The mayor tweeted at 5.07 p.m. as the lights were going out across Kings County. The story goes deeper into the issues with the blackouts, and this is something they have been worried about, of course, as the big heat wave more or less dissipating for the weekend, but it's still July, it's still August, it's still hot. That's something to worry about. And, of course, about a week ago when the lights went out in Times Square in the middle of um, rush hour traffic in the afternoon, shutting down many, many, many shows that night and of course all the entertainment just in general in downtown although we watched on the news and thought people were freaking out the new yorkers were just kind of wandering around because you know it was kind of hot so these things happen when when big big issues pop up they were preparing for it apparently not quite prepared enough because ten thousand people lost their power in the heat we know how these things work here in the south when we're dealing with massive storms and things like that because they all mobilize on these things they did this as well for here we're glad that people got back up pretty quickly and did not have to suffer very long in the very very hot temperatures they had for the day moving on to the eight story this is on asap rocky this is not about donald trump secure or offering up to secure his bail instantly because that story we posted it didn't quite make the list but this is one that's a more interesting one i think i think it is you tell me whether it's a more interesting or not the headline is asap rocky could reportedly get a lot of money from sweden for the concert he was forced to cancel up rocks gave us this story and the story gets a bump in response of 2.37 percent it also was posted on tuesday july 23rd let's go ahead and get into the story as we said up rocks is the source for this story here asap rocky current legal situation in sweden is not ideal for a variety of obvious reasons and one of them is that he is missing out on the opportunity to make a living a couple of weeks ago the rapper was forced to cut his european tour short with his management saying at the time 
quote, ASAP Rocky is being detained in a Swedish jail for an unknown period of time for acting in self-defense during an altercation that took place. Due to this unforeseen, unfortunate situation, he is forced to cancel his European festival and tour dates in July. The amounts to some, this amounts to some significant lost income, and it turns out that Sweden may pay up if Rocky is cleared or found not guilty. TMZ reports that according to the country, according to Swedish law, I'm sorry, but you're this one up. If somebody is charged with a crime and ultimately wins the case, the country may pay the defendant for money lost as a result of their incarceration and trial. Publication estimates that Rocky is paid about $100,000 per concert and that he could be entitled to over $2 million overall. However, the Swedish law in question specifically says may. So the country may try to avoid the big payout. Check out this link on the story as you can go and go deeper into searching what's happening in this. Uh, the ASAP Rocky case is an interesting case in a case of what could happen when foreigners are abroad, both a swap from here and a swap from us being foreigners abroad out there, and how the laws and how the justice systems and how things work a little differently way over there than they are here. Uh, it's it's interesting, it's crazy, and we'll see what happens and whether Donald Trump can actually intervene in this one. Spoiler alert, he probably can't. The seven and six stories are ultimately ties, but we have them based ranked out based on the Facebook engagement is what actually breaks this tie in this one. So the Facebook engagement on the story in the sixth story is a bit higher. We don't like having ties in the listing. We like having actually 10 stories. So we will go with the story that is slightly below, just slightly out of kilter. And that is the seven story saying that officials seize $5 million in gold bars at Heathrow Airport, reportedly from drug cartel. Sunday, July 21st is the day we posted this one. The bump in response from the eight story to the tied stories is 3.7%. On to that story, so you can see more details on what what went down at Heathrow and the whole gold bars in the airport thing. $5 million worth of gold bars have been seized at London's Heathrow Airport by law enforcement officials investigating a South American drug cartel. The gold, weighing about 229 pounds, was on its way to Switzerland from the Cayman Islands when it was seized. It had previously arrived in the Cayman Islands from Venezuela on a private jet. The shipment was seized last month, but judicial officials have now allowed the National Crime Agency, NCA, to hold it under proceeds of crime law. The gold is now being treated as money laundering in an investigation by the Cayman Islands with the help of the NCA. We believe that this shipment was linked to drug cartels operating out of South America, a quote from NCA Heathrow Branch Commander Steve McIntyre. He said this to the news, and more quotes. Working with partners overseas and in the UK, we were quickly able to identify it and stop its onward movement. Another quote, the business model of many organized crime groups relies upon the ability to move money across borders to fund further investment in criminal activity. If we can stop that, it can uh, only cause disruption to the criminal network involved and prevents them benefiting from crime and also stops the reinvestment. There's more lines, more quotes. It goes really deeper. You see pictures of the gold bars, and this is a really, really cool story to get into. Check out the link at our website, thisistheconversation.com. It's the link inside of this week's podcast, the podcast for the week ending July 27, 2019. The gold bars pictures is, is cool. The other thing to note here over in Britain, they like them some abbreviations. They like them some initials, so they move their NCA, from their original National Crime Agency, and they had no problems with that. In Canada, they like the full sentences. We're down with that, Canada. Keep on being Canada. As we said, virtual tie or actual tie within the actual responses, the weighing of the Twitter and the Facebook feeds. So still bumper response at 3.7 from the 8 story, but it is the 6 story. This headline is Southwest Planes Collide on Nashville Airport Tarmac. Somehow we get airplanes in the two ties, but the two totally separate issues happening. We posted this one on Sunday, July 21st as well. So that was another thing that was kind of, you know, interesting on it. And the story we pulled it from, or the source we pulled it from, was ABC News' website. We'll read you some lines from their website so you can know what happened in this story. Two Southwest airline planes have collided on the tarmac of National International Airport. Airline officials say no injuries were reported in Saturday night's collision. An email statement from Southwest Airlines spokeswoman Michelle Agnew 
says the winglet of the St. Louis bound Southwest flight 1555 came into contact. That's a quote during pushback with the winglet of a Southwest flight 4580 headed to Atlanta. A photograph provided by the passengers on board the flight to Atlanta showed rainy weather and what appeared to be the top of the other plane's fin clipped off. The airline says both parties, both planes returned to the gate, quote, under their own power, unquote, and were taken out of service for evaluation. The Southwest flights will continue to scheduled destinations using new planes. A spokeswoman for the airport directed all inquiries to Southwest, which is why the inquiries were extremely short, extremely terse, I would say, and got to the point there. Apparently nothing really serious, just a small minor bumping into each other accident, although it's only considered small and minor when other planes are bumping into each other. But on this case, there were no injuries, no problems. Everyone continued on just on a different planes until they got these back into order. Let's move to the next story in the list. No tie. We're back to normal again. Normal C, I guess, again. Also very normal. We're opening up NFL season, so it's NFL story time to take place. But also seemingly normal. We're spinning mostly to the crime blotter to get things started. This is just sort of the, the sign of the times you have for these things. Headline, Tyreek Hill will not be suspended, NFL says. Friday, July 19th, the day we posted this one, a bumpy response from the sixth story of 4.46%. The story in the source we have the story comes from the Arrowhead Pride website. This is a site that essentially is a source for news for the Kansas City Chiefs. It's a Sports Brooks Nation or SB Nation hosted blog, if you will. So it's all the inside dirt. In this case, it really is dirt. Uh, what's going on with the team? And this is a serious issue, a very serious issue. So they took it very straight in the story. We're going to read you the lines from this story as they posted it. This has been a long time coming. On Friday morning, NFL Network reported that Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver Tyreek Hill will not be suspended entering the 2019 season. NFL issued a statement through NFL.com. Here's some lines from that statement. Over the past four months, we have conducted a comprehensive investigation of allegations regarding Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver Tyreek Hill. Throughout the investigation, the NFL's primary concerns have been the well-being of the child. Our understanding is that the child is safe and that the child ongoing care is being directed and monitored by the Johnson County District Court and the Johnson County Department of Children and Families. Conducting our investigation, we have taken great care to ensure that we do not interfere with the county's proceedings or compromise the privacy or welfare of the child in any way. The information developed in the court proceeding is confidential and has not been shared with us, and the court has sealed all law enforcement records. Local law enforcement authorities have publicly advised that the available evidence does not permit them to determine who caused the child's injuries. A release statement from the chiefs, goes like this. I didn't even finish the NFL statement. This is from the Chiefs. We have been informed of the decision by the National Football League that based on the available evidence, the league has not found that Tyreek Hill violated NFL's personal conduct policy. Based on the information provided by us and by the league, we have decided it is appropriate for Tyreek to return to the team for the start of training camp. The club fully supports the conditions for return laid out by the league and continue to monitor any new developments in the case. We're glad to welcome Tyreek back to the team and look forward to the start of training camp next week. There are more statements, more things pop up, and there's some Twitter uh, uh, some Twitter uh, uh, embeds there that make this a little weird. Essentially, Tyreek Hill had been dealing with an issue with a child, with a domestic development which, with a child. And because the NFL is, at least on the surface, looking like they're looking into these things very intently, they did a very intent look into it. They have now put it in the hands of the local authorities in Kansas City, and so they can deal with it themselves. Looks like it will be cleared up, and whatever child welfare issues will be there. Go to the link inside of this week's podcast, and you can see more of the details, more of the full statements, and go deeper into this story. If you are an NFL fan, a Tyreek Hill fan, a Chiefs fan, or just curious about the welfare of children, check it out because it is a very important story. And unfortunately, we're having more of these pop up, and really unfortunately, it seems like the the bulk of the bad sports people stories seem to come from the National Football League, which here in the United States is essentially the king of sports for all practical purposes. 
Our next story is a sign of the digital connected times we live in and how it's really hard to get sometimes very basic, simple information. In this case, the basic, simple information is a network that usually is more back in the day. You can just turn on your TV and get now since everyone is bundled into different sets of bundles. It's a little bit harder based on money, literally money being paid out to the providers. And this is something that you'll see more of lately because more people cutting cords and things like that and losing money. Here is the headline that we're going to talk about right now. And that headline is CBS stations blacked out for direct TV customers after deal with AT&T fails. San Diego Union Tribune is the source for this one. Sunday, July 21st is the date we posted this. A slight bump in response from the five story. This is story number four, of course, 0.43%. Let's read you to you, read to you, if I can read today or speak, some lines from the story as written on that date. Millions of DirecTV subscribers lost access to CBS programming this weekend after talks over a new distribution deal collapsed. CBS Corp and AT&T Inc. works owns El Segundo-based DirecTV failed to reach an agreement by the Friday night deadline. Without a contract in place, AT&T no longer has author- author- authorization, that's a big word, to include CBS station signals in its television package in more than a dozen cities, including Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, and Sacramento. The station signals were pulled about 11.15 p.m. Pacific time on Friday. Nearly 6.6 million AT&T subscribers' homes in the country including 1.4 million in the Los Angeles region, lost access to the local CBS station. CBS owns two stations in Southern California, KCBS-TV, Channel 2, and KCAL-TV, Channel 9, and both were included in the blackout. The outage extends to CBS Smithsonian Channel, the CBS Sports Channel, and four television stations owned by CBS that carry CW programming. Customers of AT&T's other 17 platforms, Uverse and DirecTV Now, a streaming service, now are also without CBS programming. Go deeper into the story here by going to our website, thisisaconversation.com, and clicking the link for this week's this week's podcast. Of course, podcast week ending 7-27-2019. This is something that we're actually seeing here on multiple fronts, here being where I live in Little Rock, Arkansas. Of course, the CBS was a big deal that was going down with this one for DirecTV and Uverse as well. We also had issues that I still don't think are resolved for the NBC stations. Here locally, it's the local the local company or company that, that operates Nexstar Television, and they own our NBC affiliate here. They had some issues, and they went off the air last week sometime. I don't know exactly if that's still the case. I have cut that a while ago. Just not, uh, not really a plug, but we have switched it. We cut the cord uh, a, a while back, and we bounced it back and forth. We did DirecTV now for a while. We're currently using YouTube TV, so if you want a shout-out from YouTube TV, that's that's what we use. But more people cutting the cords, more people jumping out of things, and the prices of these things just going up in general are meaning more blackouts at various points in times for the people who do distribute these big channels. And the oddity is... CBS is a channel that, in theory, you can turn on your TV, plug in an antenna, and get it. Of course, digital the digital makes it a little harder, oddly enough. But the loss of the station for people who like their local news access and like the network shows is a bust for people who are don't get it. And, of course, a bust for the businesses that should be doing better business. The story in the number three spot is the top story on Facebook this week, the top-ranking Facebook story in the top ten. And it gets a bumper response because it was a pretty big one of 21 or 22.1% from the fourth story. Headline, Rutger Hauer, genre actor and Blade Runner icon, has died at 75. Ars Technica is the source, ArsTechnica.com, the source for this uh, the story, Wednesday, July 24th, today we posted the highest rated Facebook story for this week, a bump response of 21.13% from the number four story. And because it was a highest high rated Facebook story, you can tell the love people gave to the man and the actor. Let's read you a few lines or a big chunk of lines from the story from Ars Technica. Because if you remember him, if you don't remember him, once I read off the list of accolades, you'll remember seeing Rutger Hauer. Dutch actor Rucker Hauer, an icon of genre fiction, perhaps best known to general audiences for his portrayal of renegade and android Roy Batty in Ridley Scott's 1982 cult classic Blade Runner, died on Friday. 
As reported today in Variety, Howard's agent Steve Canis confirmed the actor's death, noting that a funeral had already been held. Howard died at the age of 75 at his home in Beerstergzwag in the Netherlands after struggling with an unnamed illness. Sorry for butchering the name of that city. Howard starred as a leading man in Dutch TV series and films before starring alongside Vester Stallone in 1981's Nighthawks. He soon became a staple of 80s genre films, appearing in Blade Runner, Lady Hawk, The Hitcher, among others. Later in his career, he played a recurring role in Batman Begins, Sin City, and the HBO series True Blood, and numerous lower-budget genre films such as The Scorpion King 4 and Dracula 3D. He also voiced Master Xenohort in the 2019 video game Kingdom Hearts 3, which my kid will hate me for butchering his name, but I don't do games. Howard was an outspoken environmentalist and founder of an AIDS awareness organization to which he committed proceeds from an autobiography he wrote and published in 2007. He is survived by a spouse, a daughter, and a granddaughter. You can go deeper into the man and the actor and just the general all-around great guy for Rutger Howard by clicking the link inside this week's website, or the website's always there inside this week's podcast uh, for thisisconversation.com. Click on it for 7-27-2019. The links to all the stories are inside of the website, inside of the podcast links, so you can get deeper into anything there. You can send me information and talk about anything you want to by emailing me at theconversationinbox at gmail.com. And, of course, the Proverbial thoughts and prayers going out to the family of Rutger Hauer, an outstanding actor and seemingly an outstanding man with all the things that he spearheaded throughout his lifetime. Moving to the number two story this week, here's your headline. Marvel Phase 4, Black Widow, Doctor Strange 2, Thor 4 scheduled revealed. Fox.com is our source for this story, and we posted it on Sunday July 31st, we pretty much posted as soon as we saw it pop up in our feed because everyone was waiting for the Phase 4 movies. This gets a bumper response from the number 3 story of 32.4%. Let's get into it, shall we? Talking about all the big Marvel movies, or at least the ones they talked about, there were some some additions and addendums or some extra stuff added throughout the couple days past the announcement at Comic-Con. But these are some of the things we got. We'll read some of it from the Vox.com article as they posted, basically watching it live at Comic-Con in San Diego. For the first time in years, we finally have an idea of what Marvel Studios has planned for the next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The studio revealed an upcoming schedule during its Hall H panel at San Diego Comic-Con on Saturday night, announcing at least 10 projects to expect over the next two years. The biggest revelation included the news that Natalie Portman will wield Thor's hammer, Mahashala Ali will star in the new Blade movie, and confirmation that Marvel is working on movies featuring some of the studio's recently acquired characters. Marvel's business plan and marketing strategy has long been to hype what's next, with much of that hype being driven on its signature post credit scenes and panels at fan conventions like Comic-Con and Disney's D23. And for a while, it was customary for the studio to announce its release schedule several years early, 2015, Marvel announced movies like 2018's Black Panther and 2019's Captain Marvel. But even the studio's two most recent films, April's colossal cinematic juggernaut known as Avengers Endgame and this month's Spider-Man Far From Home, arrived in theaters with Marvel still not revealing what movies it has launching for 2020 or its plans to launch any at all. Meanwhile, the studio had kept relatively quiet, save for a few casting and crew announcements, like we found out this week that Takaya Waititi would be directing the fourth Thor movie. I always butcher his name as well. Here's what Marvel announced during the Comic-Con panel. And of course, as I said, there were some other things uh, announced as well, but these were the big things announced at the panel. Black Widow, starring Scarlett Johansson and Rachel Weisz, and directed by Kate Shorthand, arriving in theaters May 1st, 2020. The Eternals, starring Angelina Jolie and Salma Hayek and directed by Chloe Zhao, arriving in theaters November 6, 2020. Shang-Zi and the Legends of the Ten Rings, starring Simu Liu and directed by Destin Daniel Creighton, arriving in theaters on February 12, 2021. Shang-Zi will be Marvel's first film with a lead character of Asian descent. Many people happy about that. 
Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, starring Benedict Cumberbatch and Elizabeth Olsen, yes, Scarlet Witch, and directed by Scott Derrickson, arriving theaters May 7, 2021. Thor, Love and Thunder, directed by Takai Watiki, and starring Natalie Portman, who will wield the legendary hammer as the first female Thor, Tessa Thompson, and Chris Helmsworth, arriving in theaters on November 5th, 2021. Go deeper into the details by clicking on the link at the website so you can see what's there. And, of course, more things released, more ideas and thought process coming up, including some spoilers to who may be the villains for the Black Widow movie and the backstory we know is going to cover the Budapest incident. And so, obviously, Black Widow being a character who is now officially deceased, how she will be dealt with and how it's a backstory story and how that comes through. And a very cool idea if the villain that is rumored to be true is true. Trust me, I am super hyped for this one almost as much as it was for Black Panther uh, because this is a really big get for a newly acquired character for the Disney franchise and the Marvel franchise. It's, it's all Disney at this point. Let's get to the final story for The Countdown. The number one story this week, the biggest story of them all. The stats for it include Tuesday, July 23rd, the date that it was posted. This is, of course, the highest-rated Twitter story, because it's the highest-rated story, basically. It also gets a bumper response from the number two story of 98.16%, that much more than the two story. Then the 10 story, which, of course, was a story on Canada live-feeding the very serious press conference with cat ears on the police officer, of 270%, and for the number 196, the almost relevant story of the week, we'll tell you what that is later, its bumper response is 4,606%. And this is something that may seem like a long time coming, and a lot of people thinking it's definitely overdue. Google pays $11 million to settle with job seekers who allege age discrimination. CNET.com is the source for this one. Uh, We will read you some bits and some pieces from the story, and you can decide whether this one is really worthy of the number one for this week. Google is shelling out $11 million in a lawsuit that accused the search giant of discriminating against older job seekers. The Alphabet-owned company has also signed an agreement to train managers on age bias, form a committee focused on age diversity, and investigate age bias complaints. Lawsuit accused Google of engaging in a, quote, systematic pattern of practice of discrimination, unquote, against job applicants who were age 40 and over. One of the lead plaintiffs of the case, Cheryl Filkus, butcher her name a few times, said she interviewed with Google four times but was never offered a position despite her qualifications because of her age. Google denies that it intentionally discriminated against the plaintiffs or any job applicants because of their age. The company says it works hard to build an inclusive workplace and has strong policies against discrimination on any unlawful bias, including age. The final summit proposed was submitted to a federal judge in the U.S. District Court of Northern District of California on Friday. After lawyers' feeds, a settlement reportedly works out to about $35,000 for each of the 227 people who joined the class action. The agreement is subject to court approval. So that's a whole lot of money for a whole lot of people taking on a whole lot of bias for one company. We'll see how this actually plays out in the long run towards ending discrimination on age stuff, which it won't end it. But this is also a practice, a sign of the times, a sign of digital times that we have right now. As a person in my 40s, as a person who's a Gen Xer, there was a lot of whining and complaining and bitching and moaning on people my ilk about the baby boomers not moving out of the way. Unfortunately, because of the baby boomers not moving out of the way, and on the other end, the millennials and whatever you're calling the next batch are sort of jumping in, and they want their piece right now, and somehow they're having a better chance of holding on to those pieces. Baby boomers and, and Gen Xs specifically are having some issues. In a time when you probably need more experience and the job numbers show that there's a lot less unemployment, going for the cheaper hire, the younger hire, the person with the young, fresh ideas, as opposed to the grizzled veteran who knows a few things, is a good decision to have, a very good problem to have in your life. But it also causes the problems of what happens you hire too many on one side and not the other. Age discrimination is a real thing, and now that you're discriminating against people who are more or less younger, that is, in their 40s, as opposed to looking towards the silver-haired guys in their 60s and 70s, this is going to be a really big deal for those younger managers 
who are finding themselves coming up in a brand new world that they did not expect to have to be a part of. And maybe you didn't expect that story to be a part of the top 10, but it was. It was a number one story. And if you dispute it, send me an email. We can talk about it at the conversation inbox at gmail.com. If you're okay with it, but would like to get more input in general, what's going on with all the stories, you can simply fix that. Go to the website and these are stories that are popping up so you see what we're getting into. Make sure you follow us on our social media. On Facebook, we are This Is A Conversation, same as Instagram as well. And on Twitter, we are TH underscore conversation. If you follow us on Facebook and Twitter, you can see the feed, and you can see every 50 minutes or so we post a brand new link to a new story. If you want to engage with it, that's how you vote. Like it, love it, hate it, share it, review it, do whatever you do to engage with the, with the post. And the more engagement a single post gets, at the end of the week, we add the Twitter and the Facebook responses together. And we tell you which stories are the top. And we tell you which one is at the very bottom. And that was what we're going to talk about in mere moments, along with some housekeeping in segment two of the wrap-up show with Jay Cleveland Payne. This is a show for the week ending July 27th, 2019. Warby Parker is an eye care company that you can definitely trust. Warby Parker does great service. It offers up great product and it gives you an extra special love. And we want to give you extra special love by using us to use them so they can help us. It's a great big circle of life around here, if you will. Warby Parker will sell you designer frames with lenses included for just $99. Not only that, they will send you five pairs of frames to try for free, and when you find the pair you like, you send them the four back you don't, and you pay them $99. And they can do this simply, easily, with no hassle whatsoever, and the frames are beautiful. Now, how did they figure this out? Well, they took the same processes that they use to send very inexpensive glasses to very remote places so people there can have the beautiful joy of seeing clearly and figure it out. How can we make this thing work so easily and so inexpensively for these people who need them and for people who need glasses and are willing to pay the premium for the nice ones, they have to deal with the hassle that is glasses buying. Warby Parker figured out all the magic. They also opened some stores as well so you can experience how it feels to be pampered in real life. But if you ain't got time for that, you go to thisisaconversation.com slash Warby Parker right now and get an extra special up to the extra special process you'll have. They'll send you five frames with lenses for free. Once you pick the ones you want, you keep those and you pay $99. That's where they start at. Designer lenses and designer frames, well, I guess the lenses aren't so much designer. I guess they are since they're designed for you. So designer everything for a low price and a very convenient non-hassle process all done from Warby Parker. We thank them for being our sponsor and love them being a prime sponsor this week. Go to thisisaconversation.com slash Warby Parker. Thisisaconversation.com slash Warby Parker for an extra special deal on the great deal you're already getting from this great company, Warby Parker. Let's do some housekeeping, shall we? Not a lot to really go into. Not a lot of real serious errors, actions going on other than my ability to read, which is always suspect. But what we do every single week is we go through the entire listings from the the scores from Facebook and Twitter. And so we have two different numbers and we have a, a algorithm that weighs them out, adds them together and gives us the full rankings from everything from top to bottom. And we go through the stories, we check the top 15, and we make sure that there are no serious issues there. If there are double stories, the stories that are essentially updates to a pre-existing story that, that there, we will add the two together, add the scores together, and make that a super story. One story with one or two-ish headlines, and we kind of explain how those work out, what we added to make those a bigger story. That way we don't have like three or four stories in a big week of things taking up the top 15. They're all distinct we also have issues very rarely, but they do happen because math is math, where two stories will have the same exact raw score, the actual total score number to put it in the listings. From there, we weigh it out with two extra factors. The next factor is by date. The oldest story gets the 
top billing. Both the stories in this week's tie, number six and number seven, were posted on Sunday, July 21st. So they're the same age. That didn't work it out. They were actually worked out in our process by the Facebook and engagement, not so much the uh, impressions that people saw, but how many people actually mucked around with it on Facebook. We just use one engagement score. There's also a Twitter engagement score, but we just use Facebook for to give Facebook extra love in this one. And the engagement for this story in number six, which was the planes that collided in Nashville on the tarmac, was about 50% more than the engagement on the story with the gold bars found in Heathrow Airport. That's how we weighed it out. So we have the number six story being the planes collide, number seven story being the, the gold found in the airport. Instead of having a tie, because we, we tried that early on, it just didn't sound right. So we just gave them numbers, gave them a weighing out to kind of work the two out. And so the number six story and the number seven story both have the same distance from the eight and the five, both bump in response of two point th- oh, sorry 3.70 from the eight and the 4.46 is the bump from the 5 from the other two stories. But that's how we do that. When we have tie, we have the tiebreakers are other factors. First, which one is the oldest story? We give the oldest story more love. Probably give the youngest story more love because it got there faster. But we'll, we're going back and forth on that. And the second is, of course, how much more engagement it got. This week, engagement won out for Southwest Airlines issue on the tarmac in Nashville. So we're going to the almost relevant story of the week, and we call it almost relevant because it is the lowest one on the scale. It's usually a very latest posted story. This one posted, uh, we were recording this on Friday the 26th of July. This was posted sometime late Thursday night, the 25th. So yes, this was a latest edition. And while we've had a sort of just standing of the story popping up something that's actually a pretty relevant story a pretty important story that just came in so late it didn't catch any traction this is one that's not so relevant at all but it's extra relevant because of my homies who listen from way back in my college radio days because we had this long-running joke about reginald p vel johnson who of course is the star of Die Hard. Trust me, he's the star of Die Hard and, of course, the star, the patriarch of Family Matters, the man who really is America's dad, that Cosby guy. Nobody cares about that guy. But Reginald Ville Johnson, who is a wonderful actor, more or less a character actor at this point, uh, here's the headline. This one is cool for all those guys. So this is one that even if you don't really get it, trust me, this is a special one for me and my boys. Headline, Reginald Ville Johnson reacts to his Avengers Endgame scene being cut then add it back in. Here comes the story from comicbook.com. Reginald Vell Johnson is known for several fan-favorite roles throughout his career, but he recently added the now-officially highest-grossing movie of all time to his resume thanks to a part in Avengers Endgame. It, also, it almost didn't happen, though, as initially a scene was cut from the final version of the film, Thankfully, the movie was making a big push to overtake Avatar at the box office, so Marvel Studios gave it a boost by including several extras in the new version of the film. Comicbook.com had the chance to speak with Vell Johnson all about it, including how it came about, how long it took to film, and his rollercoaster ride of emotions after having it cut, then put back in. A lot of quotes from Vell Johnson, so here we go. I didn't realize that, just heard that it was the highest grossing film, When I was asked to do it, I went to Atlanta, did this job, and the Russo brothers are really cool people. I want to work with them again, man, and they are the very best. You know, they deserve every accolades they get. They know what they're doing. My agent called me and said they were interested in me. They wanted me to call them on the phone and talk about it. So one of them, I forgot which Russo brother it was, but he called me on the phone. We talked a bit, and he was admiring my work and whatnot, and he wanted to get me to do the part. So I said, hell yeah, let's do this. The scene in question, not quoting anymore, was Vell Johnson arriving at the scene of a building on fire, but the Hulk, who is now one of the most popular heroes post-snap, arrives and is able to save civilians in the building. That sequence actually took about a week to film, which is about also why it was so unfortunate that it was cut from the first theatrical release. Now, back to Phil Johnson. I did the part, Matt, and then they said they were going to cut me out. I was so depressed, I didn't go see the movie when it came out, because I was so depressed that they said I wasn't in it anymore, because, you know, 
My scene took a week to film, and I was with some good people, and we did the scene and collaborated, and I thought this was going to be something good. Then they said they cut me out. I was so upset, man. They Then they got back to him and called him and let him know that the scene was back in, and he talked about some stuff with that. I refused to go see the movie. Then they announced that they put the scene back in the movie, and I went to see it. Yes, that's what it is. Reginald B. Vell Johnson, I like throwing the P in there, uh, was out there fighting for the man, fighting for his right, and because he got cut, he decided he didn't want to put his money down in his Marvel movie. So, more power to you. But, of course, me and the wife, we put the money down to go see the Marvel movie. That's what we did. So, there you go. But glad to see that Reginald Vell Johnson is back in the news where he ought to be more of, and all the 10th floor posse fellas who listen to this thing, Trust me, they got a serious kick out of this story. And I got a kick for the fact that it was barely there, but being barely there made it the almost irrelevant story of the week, which puts it in the spotlight in segment two. Segment three, of course, your shout-outs. The love that you show for us, we show extra love for you, and we round out the top 15 in mere moments on the wrap-up show with Jay Cleveland Payne from thisistheconversation.com, i.e. The Conversation Project. And this is the conversation's wrap-up show for the weekend ending 727. That is July the 27th, 2019. Erica Mandy does not need my help, but I'm gonna hype her anyway because she is a podcaster who I listen to essentially every single day. She produces a Monday through Friday daily podcast called The Newsworthy that is offering up a 10-minute or actually less than 10-minute version of your news of the day. And it is quick, it is easy, it is fun. And she likes to do it because she really got frustrated with the news as I did. She's a veteran journalist as well, and but got tired of all this sort of crazy talking head stuff that was overtaking the actual news being produced and being published. So every morning she publishes the Newsworthy, which gives you politics, tech, business, entertainment, and it's a great source of your information. It's pretty much straightforward, straight down the line, just the facts, ma'am, the ma'am gives it to us. And it's, oddly enough, I like to watch it on YouTube. It's produced on pretty much anywhere your pods are cast, of course. That's my big saying for these things. So anywhere you're looking for a podcast, you can probably find the Newsworthy. And you can go to its source. Everyone has a website. It is thenewsworthy.com, where it says you can listen on the go to the Daily News Roundup in less than 10 minutes. So you get everything you need pretty quickly, and it's pretty concise. You need to check it out. So as I said, she needs no help from me. She's got a much larger audience than I do. But if you're looking for an extra set, a daily set of actual news, things that are the biggest stories or the more or less important stories going on today, she does it. As I like to say, you know, Chiron free. It's not blasting crazy stuff. It is what news is important. That is, for the most part, commentary free. Check out the Newsworthy. It's a great worth listening to podcast, sometimes better than on my speaking. And it's a podcast that we're spotlighting for this week. Each week, we end the show with rounding out the top 15. That tells you the stories that didn't quite make it in, and maybe why. But first, we give some extra love to those who showed us extra love on social media in the shout-out section. We're going to start off shout-outs this week with the Facebook section. So we'll tell you about some folks that gave us extra love on the Facebook this week, including some names like Ruth Ann Miller, Greg Perrine, also, Clarence E. Springer, Dan Clemens, Vicki Young, uh, Laura Romanovich, hopefully I got that okay, Cindy Hancock-Holbrook, Tony Brown, and Clevin Clay. Thank you so much for your love on the Facebook. Going to the Twitter, here are some people that responded to us extra specially inside of the Twitter. Thank you so much for that also as well. These names include folks like The Way We Were, their podcast, great podcast as well, AARP Goddess, Free Bobby Wine, Travis Lee Darrow, Jasmina Zenorik, 
Hopefully she's not a bot. Also, find that pod, send view, Michael Warming, and Raiders Lost Commentary. Thank you guys for giving us love and supporting the efforts we have going on here. And you know we support podcasters as well. If you want to get your podcast uh, showcased with us, just send me a message and we'll check it out. We'll get it probably in, in rotation pretty darn quickly. It is time to get in the full wrap-up stage and round out the top 15. Stories 11 through 15, in that order, stories not quite in range for top 10, maybe a little bit why, but just a little bit on what they were and what you're missing, even though you're getting them right here as a story. Story number 11, man jumps on plane's wing and attempts to enter the cabin as aircraft prepares for takeoff. Saturday, July the 20th is a date that's posted, and yes, if you originally had the thoughts of the classic Twilight Zone episode of William Shatner, who's just finished his treatment for some sort of mental disorder, looking out the window and seeing some guy hanging on the plane. That's exactly what we thought as well. People Magazine and their travel section, oddly enough, at this, this is a true story. So stick with us. This is not some crazy thing you're dreaming up. This actually happened. Chaos erupted on a plane this week after a man climbed onto the aircraft's wing as it prepared for takeoff in an attempt to enter the cabin. The unusual incident involving an Asman aircraft happened on Friday morning in the domestic wing of the Mutarla Muhammad International Airport in Lagos, Nigeria, according to a statement from the airline company. As the plane was waiting for clearance from air traffic control to take off, the pilot in command spotted an unidentified man on the tarmac who began climbing towards the wing of the aircraft. Video footage of the dramatic incident taken by a passenger inside of the airplane shows the man climbing from the jet engine to the wing and then starts walking towards the plane's cabin, but eventually goes out of the camera's frame. Yes, this story is as insane and insane and as crazy as all those things as you would expect. So go to our website, thisisaconversation.com. Click the link for this week's podcast for the 27th of July, 2019. And all the links to all the stories are in that posting there. You'll see the pictures. You'll see the video. You'll see all the insanity that is the story. This was, was a very, very, very weird one, and you won't really understand it until you take a look at the full force of the video of a man thinking he's just going to walk into the airplane, walk on the wing, and just get into the plane somehow. Let's move on to the next story in the 12th spot today. Yellowstone National Park bison charged a nine-year-old girl and injured her video shows wednesday july 24th was when we posted this this got a lot of response from you guys and it like i said number 12 so it barely got there a lot of facebook chatter on this one as well the biggest thing was a lot of people were complaining about how close the family and the girl were to this bison and a lot of people complained because in other instances of the story it was a wire story somewhere someone copied injured as entered so misspelled that and the grammar nazis were all over the place for this one so grammar nazis have their place but not so much today let me read you some stories some lines from the story we have we pulled it from cnn a nine-year-old girl was injured after a bison charged her in Yellowstone National Park on Monday, the park's public affairs office said. Yellowstone's officials confirm a video posted on Twitter on Monday night and circulated by local media captured the incident. The video shows a bison charge three people, an adult man, a woman run away, while a little girl is thrown into the air by the bison. The girl was part of a group of about 80, 50 people. I can't read it in this thing. Near Observation Point Trail in the park's Old Faithful Geyser area, a news release said. The group was gathered about 5 to 10 feet away from the bison for at least 20 minutes before the bull bison charged and tossed a girl, who was from Odessa, Florida, into the air. Her family took her to the Old Faithful Lodge for treatment, park officials said. She was later taken to a release to the Old Faithful Clinic. No citations have been issued, and the incident is still under investigation, according to the release. Park officials warned visitors to stay at least 25 yards, which is 75 feet away from large animals. Yellowstone is home to 4,527 bison. That's from an August 2018 estimate. And a male bull weighs up to 2,000 pounds. Animal can be aggressive, as you can see, and can run up to 30 miles per hour. So there is your warning right there to stay away from any bison, especially the male bull bisons, 
if you're at Yellowstone National Park or anywhere for some reason you're wandering around bison. 75 feet is not 5 to 10 feet. So bring a measuring tape if you need to, but figure that one out pretty quickly. The Chick-fil-A law is something that's pretty controversial, but it does have its merits in some cases on based on freedom, and it does have some merits on people who say it's encroaching on things that shouldn't be free. We're going to read you a few lines from the story we got that's in the number 13 spot this week, and the headline, of course, since Chick-fil-A law is Save Chick-fil-A Law Passed in Texas, because that's what they've been working on for quite some time, and they finally got the thing to actually work. We posted this story on Friday, July the 19th, so it stuck around quite a bit. Not quite enough to make it to the top 10, but we're still talking about it in the number 13 spot. Here is a story. The copy we pulled from the website churchleaders.com, which focuses on church leader stuff, and because Chick-fil-A is God's restaurant, that's why they covered it here. So here's the bit on the Texas Save Chick-fil-A law. After the city of San Antonio blocked Chick-fil-A from opening a location in its airport due to the company's leader's traditional stance on marriage, a new law in Texas aims to protect the rights of companies and their owners to hold their moral, misread that one, moral convictions without fear of retaliation. The Save Chick-fil-A bill was recently signed into law after an expedited trip through Texas legislative process. Quote, no businesses shall lose a government contract because of their religious beliefs. That's from Governor Greg Abbott as he signed the bill. The bill specifically states government entities may not take, quote, adverse action against individual basis on their religious beliefs and moral convictions. I can't say moral today, including beliefs and convictions regarding marriage. Why is this a problem? Abbott put the bill's purpose in layman's terms on Monday when he signed it, explaining, and here's a full quote from him, Discrimination is not a tolerance in Texas. No business should be discriminated against simply because its owners gave to a church, Salvation Army, or to any other religious organization. The governor also called the bill's passing a victory for religious freedom in Texas. While the bill itself, which is actually called SB 1978, does not mention Chick-fil-A by name, Its nickname makes no secret of the fact that the bill came into being in response to the city of San Antonio's blocking the fast food chain from opening a location inside the airport in March of this year. At the time, City Council Member Roberto Trevino said the city did, quote, not have room in our public facilities for a business with a legacy of anti-LGBTQ behavior, unquote. In addition to the snub, a Christian college in Texas, Trinity University, also blocked a popular chain from operating a location on its campus. The college cited Chick-fil-A's charitable giving as a reason for hesitation. Some believe the company's giving to, quote, anti-LGBT plus organizations implicates them in discrimination. So they got it from, oddly enough, both sides because of their practices, and their practices are perfectly fine. But this is a case where, as we said, both sides were a little hesitant about the company because of their practices Yet Texas decided it needed to sign a bill to save God's restaurant because of Texas. I love Chick-fil-A. I love me some Texas. But sometimes there are real reasons for the separations of church and state and business municipalities, municipalities, that word, of course, and things that are religious organizations. Of course, Chick-fil-A is not a church. It is a private business that can run their own things. But we know how these private businesses and public offerings of actual things are going along so well. We know how the issue went along with health care and specifically birth control. This is an issue that's not going away anytime soon. This is an issue that's not going to be answered anytime soon. This is something that's going to have to come up with some sort of eventual compromise of some such. I'm not that guy, so I don't know how to get there. But this is just something that needs to be done because we need less of this fussing back and forth. And more great chicken. That's all I'm going to say about that one. Although I already said a lot. Let's go on to the next story, the number 14 story for this week. And this one shows the real, real, real importance of having the right to protest and having the rights to protest be taken away from you at a moment's notice. This is coming from, oddly enough, the South China Morning Post. 
And the headline is, Chinese military can be deployed at Hong Kong's request to contain protests, Beijing says. I'm going to just go quickly through this because we're running on a time. But because Hong Kong is part itself and part a part of China because it was given away or given back by the British years ago, Hong Kong has a great autonomy that China doesn't. And China doesn't necessarily like that. In fact, China really does not like that. And so all the protests that's going on right now in China, which is dealing with China wanting to add a new extradition law so they can pull people out of Hong Kong and take them into China and put them into the horrific jail situation they have over there, have caused all this unrest, all these protests. And, of course, last weekend caused the destruction, pretty much destruction, of a municipal building last week. So China is saying they can deploy the military to beat up protesters to stop the whole thing, Tiananmen Square, it inside of Hong Kong. And that is where the issue comes. Now, obviously, Hong Kong and China are not the United States, and they do not have the same rights and freedom of assembly that we have. Of course, we don't have the right to bust up property either, so that's where things get a little dicey. But this is something that the Chinese, or more specifically, the members of the the tiny island part of Hong Kong are fighting to ensure they continue to have their autonomy and their freedoms, even though they technically should not have them as a part of mainland China, which is why they're technically not a part of mainland China. And finally, we're going to wrap up the show with a story that should be lighthearted, but is actually much more serious than my read will be. Trust me, my read will be full of giggles and fits, But it really is a very serious situation that is another sign of our times, not so much of the digital times, but the times that we just don't have the capacity to just be nice. Tuesday, July 23rd, we posted this one. In the 15th spot, the headline reads, A Disney World tourist didn't have a pass pass to Tower of Terror, so she punched an employee and started pressing buttons. The Orlando Sentinel is the source for this, so bear with me while I butcher this while giggling profusely because I found it funny. A Chicago tourist who was angry she didn't have a fast pass to Tower of Terror ended up punching a Disney World cast member in the face and began pushing buttons, which the employee warned could have affected the ride, according to a sheriff's report. The 23-year-old woman wasn't charged. The Disney worker didn't want to press charges, said the Orange County Sheriff's Office report. The attack began in the evening of July 13th when a Chicago woman and her group were upset their fast passes weren't valid for the popular ride at Tower of Terror that often draws a long line at Hollywood Studios. The incident did not happen in the elevator shaft portion of the ride, but in the pre-show area where visitors are ushered into a creepy library to watch The Twilight Zone's host Rod Sterling's introduction. The 23-year-old Disney worker offered to help them with the fast passes, but the group only became more angry. On her podium phone, the worker called a supervisor to request security. That's when Chicago woman, quote, began pushing buttons on her ride podium, the report said. The Disney worker asked Chicago woman to stop, and when she was ignored, she pushed the tourist's hands away from the buttons. She got a punch in the face, the report said. The scene kept escalating. The family continued to yell profanities and record her with their phones, the report said. The woman and her group left Tower of Terror as the workers spoke with security, but they were soon found by security. When the sheriff's office responded to the call, the worker's eye was swelling, although she declined treatment and, of course, is impressing charges. Disney has issued a lifetime ban on the Chicago woman. A quote from the spokeswoman, We don't tolerate unsafe behavior. A man answered and said it was the wrong number when the Sentinel attempted to reach Chicago woman through a phone number listed in the sheriff's report. Tower of Terror, known for its frightening 100-foot plunge, is celebrating its 25th anniversary Monday. And, of course, adding this part of commentary, was not with the Chicago woman, as she will never see the Tower of Terror again. And, while we'll see you again, or you'll hear us again, that's true, you probably won't hear that story being popped up, although these are signs of our times. So we thank you for listening to it this time, and all 16 stories we went through today, inside of the wrap-up show with me, Jay Cleveland Payne. Brought to you, of course, by... This is Conversation.com, the home for the Conversation Project, where we talk about the news stories that you actually want to talk about, not just what's stuck on the chirons from the cable news stations all day long. 
thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for being a part of this because it doesn't work if you don't help it work. You mainly help it work by following us on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, it's This Is The Conversation. And Twitter, it's TH underscore conversation. As you follow a couple stories, votes it gets in the impressions and the engagement. We put it in a spreadsheet that weighs Facebook and Twitter evenly and give you a score from top to bottom. This week from number one to number 196. And we'll let you know which stories you thought were the most conversational for the week. Uh, you also get to listen to this. I ramble for about an hour on these stories and let you know how the stories panned out for you. We're thanking you for that. But the best thing you need to do is share the love for all this. Share the social media. Share the website. This is conversation.com. And definitely share the actual podcast you're listening to right now so we ask you to find some friends find your worst enemies and just grab random strangers and take their phones and subscribe to the podcast for them whatever podcaster you like because trust me we we trust your taste so whichever podcaster you're a fan of pull out their phone add it to their phone upload this podcast hand it back to them say you're welcome and go down the street and grab three more phones you must do four phones a weekend we have to do this to keep this thing going oh make sure you're actually subscribed as well so you don't miss out on episodes as well listen for your names in the shout out section as you give us extra loves because we do that shouting out if you want to have your podcast showcase send me an email to the conversation inbox at gmail.com same email address to send your love or complaints hopefully love and just conversate with us about stories there as well my main website is jcoopandpain.net and my main email address is jcoopandpain at gmail.com for other things there as well and that's all we have literally for the week we did the whole thing counting them down and got you all the way through the top 15 plus one so let us know how we're doing make sure you give us ratings and reviews on your favorite podcatchers and of course comments at the conversation inbox at gmail.com three more quick thank yous thank you thank you thank you and of course be here next week for another edition of the podcast we'll let you know what stories you thought were the tops going from friday to friday that the stories that really were conversational not just what the people who are in the charge of the news tell you or what need to be known so you find out when I find out because I don't find out till Friday morning and we'll go through this all together next weekend with the wrap up show with me Jay Cleveland Payne brought to you by the conversation project it's home of course this is a conversation.com